0: Awesome. All right, who has their Bibles? Come to church, we bring our Bibles. Our scripture we're gonna focus on today is found in Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Now, Paul, who wrote the book of Hebrews, gives us a definition on what faith is in this verse. So if we look at Hebrews 11, one. Verse 1, we've been talking about faith, if you haven't noticed, over the past few weeks. Pastor Lewis is going to be back next week, and he's going to be finishing off kind of our series on faith. But Hebrews 11, verse 1, it talks about the definition of what faith is. In the New King James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the NIV version, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I'm sure you've heard many times in your life, either me or one of the pastors or someone within this congregation have said to you, have faith, stir up your faith, you know, just believe. And I just want to tell you this morning, it's not just something we say because it sounds good. And, you know, it feels good or because we have wishful thinking. It's not us just trying to escape reality or like, don't worry about your circumstance, just have faith. It's not an escape. Faith is real. And in Hebrews 11, before Paul gives us this definition that we just read, in verse 6, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is important. And faith is real. So let's break down this definition a little. We're gonna use the version in the New King James Version and the NIV to look at the words that are used to describe faith. So let's read the scripture again. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. Hebrews 11 in the New King James Version says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the NIV says it's the confidence in what we hope for. And what this tells us is that faith is actually the foundation of hope. Faith is the foundation of hope. Hope is when we have an optimistic desire or outlook for something in the future of what we want to see, whether it be in this life or eternity. It's something that we look forward to. We hope. We go, yes, I cannot wait to see that happen. Faith is full of power because what it does, it gives you the confidence and the substance to what you're actually hoping for. We see that Paul says that faith is a substance or the confidence in what we hope for. And these two words, substance and confidence, what they tell us is that it's guaranteed, it's solid, and it acts as a foundation. Yeah? Faith is the foundation of our hope. You know, sometimes when we look at our circumstances around us, we can think, maybe this will happen. Maybe I'll get out of it maybe I'll be healed, maybe I'll just learn to live with this. You know, there's a lot of maybes sometimes, a lot of uncertainty. But what faith does is it turns your maybes into confidence, as Hebrews tells us. Faith goes, it will happen, it will come to pass, I will be healed And now again, faith isn't just saying these things to make ourselves feel better or to ignore reality. What it does, it actually puts your belief behind something that has authority, right? Hebrews 4.12, it says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is living and it's powerful. It holds authority, which is why we can put our faith behind it. So when your maybes come into your vocabulary, we put our faith in God. We claim scripture because it's living, what the word of God says, and it's powerful. And we turn those maybes into confidence. Amen? Awesome. So we can look at hope without faith, like this, as an empty cardboard box, right? It looks great, it's big, and it's good. Hope is a good thing. You know, we want hope. We want to look to the future. But with no foundation or anything inside of it, it's very flimsy. Like, I can pick it up and I'm 34 weeks pregnant, you know? Like, we can pick this up. So the thing is, when there's no foundation inside it, when circumstances come into our lives, when people start to maybe speak negative things into our hope, they can just kick it. They can kick our hope around. There's no foundation. We can, they can start to move it around. Things can start to... And this is where our maybes kind of fall into place. Hope without a solid foundation is hollow. It's not sturdy. But what faith is... It's sturdy. It's solid. I'm not going to pick this up because it would not be good for me, as the doctors would say. But it's heavy. It's confident. It's solid. And the incredible thing is, is that when we put faith as the foundation of our hope, nobody can move this. Nobody can do, like, push me around. Whatever people say about my hope, we've just lost the faith sign, but it's okay. Whatever anyone says about, oh, maybe, are you sure that's going to happen? No. As soon as faith becomes my foundation of my hope, it is confident. It has substance. Faith is the foundation of our hope. Amen. (laughs) Hebrews 11 goes on to say that, Faith is also the evidence of things not seen. And it's also the assurance about what we do not see. The words evidence and assurance in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Hebrews 11 verse 1, gives us encouragement in the certainty and the proof that faith is real. We actually have evidence and assurance before we even see the outcome. And that is what faith is. Faith occurs when we do not see, which is a very backwards thinking, which I love, which God always challenges us with. Faith occurs when we do not see, when we can't see what's in front of us, when we can't see the outcome yet. But faith is what we use to keep us strengthened and to keep us going. You yeah, in, in our lives, usually when a significant thing happens, maybe a change in circumstance, or we start a new year, um, we want to believe for something, it always starts with a promise, a word from God, an encouragement. And, you know, this start point is always full of hope. We start the beginning of our journey with a start. This is when you receive a word from God, You receive encouragement. You open up your Bible. You receive maybe a word for the year, and you go, God will come through for me. The word of God says that He will provide for all my needs. Maybe it's the start where God says, You know, this is the year that I'm going to provide for you. You're going to get your own house. You know, maybe for example, this is the year that you're going to see breakthrough in your health. This is the year that you're going to have open doors in your job. The start is always when God gives us that word of encouragement. And this is a good place to be. We love this, right? When God gives us that prophetic word, when he gives us that encouragement, we feel revived in our spirit. We're like, yes, we can do this. This is the start of the journey. Now, the finish, which is all the way down here, (laughs) is also an incredible place to be. This is when we see the outcome of that start. God said, hey, I will do this for you. I will come through through in this area for you. You will see breakthrough. The finish is where we see this outcome. And again, we love to be here. We want to be here now, right, church? We want to be at the finish line. This is a good place to be. But this middle bit, from the start to the finish, This is the bit that's hard. This is the bit that between the start and the finish, it's the tough part. It's the in-between. But can I tell you this morning, this is where faith is built. This is where faith kicks in. This is where faith is needed. It's where faith gives you the solid foundation for what you are hoping for in this middle journey. Faith is in the middle. So this morning, Josh and I, we're going to be taking you through two stories in the Bible that are actually mentioned in Hebrews 11 as well, just right after the definitions that we read about faith. We're going to be looking at the stories of Noah and Moses. We're going to look at their start, the promise that God gave them. We're going to look at their finish line. But what we're going to look at and really focus on is their middle journey and how their faith got them through. Amen? Let's do this. All right. So let's start with Noah. Hebrews 11 verse 7. Hebrews 11 verse 7. It says this, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. So we're talking about Noah here. Genesis chapter 6 is actually where the story of Noah starts. Um, And I'm just going to give you a really quick recap for those of you who are not super familiar with the story of Noah. But Noah, if you don't know, is a big ark with animals inside it and a flood. So let me give you a quick recap. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, as people begin to multiply on earth, God actually sees wickedness in everyone on earth and saw that their hearts were evil. In Genesis 6 verse 7, so the Lord says that he's going to destroy all the men on the face of the earth. He goes, I'm just going to wipe out this human race that I've made because everybody's hearts are evil. But God has grace upon Noah. So what God does in Genesis 6.13 is he tells Noah of his plan on what he's going to do. He says to Noah, I'm going to allow a flood to come to destroy all of mankind, to destroy everything on earth. But in Genesis 6.18, he says to Noah this, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you, so your whole family. He establishes a covenant with Noah to say, I'm going to save your family. And this is where we see Noah's start. This is his promise from God. He gives him a promise that you will be safe from the floodwaters, and I will save your family. This is in his encouragement. God says, I am going to destroy the earth. Disaster is going to come upon the land. But Noah, I will save you. I will save your family. This is Noah's start. Now let's look at Noah's middle journey between his start where God says, I'm going to save you from this flood and his finish, which is the flood actually happening. Hebrews 11 verse 7, it says, by faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, we haven't seen the flood yet, but God has warned him of it, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now, remember, the start is always great. Noah goes, oh my goodness, this is crazy. You're going to destroy everybody on earth, but praise God, you're going to save me and my family. The start is always good. But where Noah's faith kicks in is actually in this middle bit where God tells him I need you to build an ark and he gives him very specific instructions on how to build it. If we put this a little bit in context in today's day and age, you know like our doomsday preppers, they put a lot of effort into like bunkers and food and everything that they need and people might have like people probably thought that Noah was crazy. Like What are you talking about? Why are you building this thing? No one has said anything. Like, you're going crazy, Noah, you know? But Noah's middle is actually what builds his faith and what his faith carries him through is that he builds his ark without actually having physical evidence that this flood would actually happen. Isn't that crazy? Like, think about it. You're going to build this huge ark because God told you to, but will a flood come? Will the rain come? And similarly for us, sometimes when God gives us a word or a promise, we don't receive a physical confirmation that it will actually happen. We don't. The doctor's report comes in, but God says, hey, I will heal you. We don't receive a physical confirmation that this is going to happen. But as we talked about earlier, this is what faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Based on a few calculations of how old Noah was when he had his sons and when God told him to build his ark, we can actually roughly estimate that the time from when Noah received his start, his promise that God would save his family to when the flood actually started, which is his finish of the promise that God gave him, there was a time period of approximately 55 years. Now let that sink in. 55 years. And this is approximate. Like it could be between 55 to 75, you know, when we kind of do the maths with things. But 55 years... And during this time frame in Genesis 6.15, God gives Noah specific instructions on how to build this ark, and specific instructions as well on what animals to gather inside it. But for a minimum of 55 years, Noah was to solely focus on building the ark. This is a very long middle, right? Like, if you would agree with me, like, for me to walk to the start to the finish, 55 years is a very long middle. And it was not only long, but it was hard work. Building an ark, I can't say from experience, but it sounds like hard work. And again, what if the rain didn't come? What if there was no flood? I've just dedicated my life for 55 years based on a promise at the start that God gave me. So even for your life, maybe you've held on to a word or a promise from God that you've received at the start to have your own home, to get a new job, for healing, for breakthrough, and you've held on to that promise. But months have gone by. The middle is long. Years have gone by, and it's been hard work. It's hard work to save up for a house. It's hard work being stuck in the same position at work. It's hard work battling with a disease. But sometimes in our journey of faith like Noah, it's hard work, and we're forced to go slow. The middle can be slow. 55 years... Is slow I don't know how to put this in there we go we've got it it's slow Josh might need to fix that later on but it's okay (laughs) it's slow and being told to slow down is frustrating no one likes slow we like the race from the start to the finish it's fast it's done we're there but a lot of the time our middle is slow it doesn't make sense it's impractical it's illogical And if God sometimes gives you that start, that promise, you go, God, if you've given it to me, why can't I just have it now? Why can't you just give it to me now? Why do I have to go slow? Why do I have to go through this middle journey? But the incredible thing is that the middle part is hard, it's long, it's not always pleasant, but this part, this middle bit, is where our character is built, It's where we become more like Christ and it's where our faith is strengthened. So even though these are our favorite parts, start, finish, the middle is actually the most important part in building who you are in Christ and setting you up for the rest of your life. I've been through a few of these cycles, as I'm sure many of you will and will continue to do so. You receive a start, a promise, you go through a middle, and you reach your finish line. Now, a lot of you guys within the church maybe have seen me grow up... from when I started coming to church in grade five and seeing where I am now. But I would love to just give you a little bit of an insight into my journey as well, into my start, my middle, and my finish. Um, But when I was in year seven, I started coming here in grade five. This has been my home church, and I absolutely love this church. But God spoke to me very clearly at the age of 12, 12 years old, where I received my start my word from God, my promise from God. And he said, hey, Aileen, you're going to be in full-time ministry. You're going to dedicate your life to the church of God. You're going to serve God. Um, and this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And as a 12-year-old, I probably didn't fully understand the reality of that. I was probably a little bit naive to it, but I was excited. I was like, God has given me a word. This is going to be good. And I was encouraged and passionate about it. Now, I am not a naturally patient person, unfortunately for my husband, please pray for him, and I am praying in patience every day, so when I'm excited about something, I want it like now, like do I get it tomorrow, like when I buy someone a present, I'm like, I bought you a present, do you want to open it now, you know, like it's, I'm one of those people, not like a, you have to wait a month to your birthday, I want to tell you what it is, you know, so already with God as a 12-year-old I'm like what should I do? What should I do God? What do you want me to do? You know, and through this middle process he gives me very specific instructions. Very similar to how he gave Noah very spe- specific instructions on how to build the ark. If you read through in Genesis, he gives him very specific instructions. So my first instruction finish high school and do well at it. So I said okay, tick. I can do that. This is done. Six years down, high school is done. And like, I I found myself like many others going, okay, what's next? What do we do after high school? And I said to God, okay, should I go to Bible college? Because this is the logical thing to do. You know, if you want to be in full-time ministry, you go to Bible college, you do these things. Is this what I should do? Um, And God goes, you're going to go to university And I said, okay, cool. My next instruction, go to university, do a degree in psychology. And I know that it seems a little bit roundabout, but I was very sure about the instruction that God had given me. And we said, all right, check. Three years went down. We went to university. Now, from my starting point, this is nine years had passed. Okay, nine years had passed from finishing high school doing university, but knowing the start that God had given me. And I was starting to get a little bit like fidgety, a little like unsure, you know, where it's like, is this what you really want me to do, God? Am I on the right pathway? Did I make a wrong turn? And I wonder if you've ever had those questions as well in that middle journey where you've heard the start and you're like, am I where I'm supposed to be? Is this getting me to my finish line? Am I in the will of God? And my hopes started getting a little hollow, and I was wondering as well, I wonder if Noah ever thought, 55 years, is this flood going to come? Is the rain going to come? It's been a very long time. But anyway, after university, I started working full-time in accounts, and I was in that company for about five years, and from my start to now, 14 years had passed, Okay, 14 years had passed. And I used to say to God, why did you tell me the plan so early? Like, I'm an impatient person. So why at 12 years old did you tell me? Like, maybe you could have told me a little bit later on in life. So, you know, I wasn't so like stirred up and passionate about it and things like that. But I'm like, why? You know, but the thing is, the middle is slow. I had studied really hard in high school, studied hard in university, followed God's instruction, and I was still here with no sign of my finish line, not even a glimpse of, like, how would this happen? So what do you do in the slow? What do you do? What do you do in this middle part in the slow? Our natural inclination is to hurry it up, right? To speed up the process ourselves, to take control and go, okay, this is taking too long, so maybe I'll just get things moving and go in the logical way that it should go. I could have just jumped to Bible college. I could have just applied for jobs at different churches. I could have done that. And for you, it may be that you just want to force a door open. Just go, I'm just going to make this happen because it's taking a little bit too long. Or you want to speed up the process and move before he's actually told you to go. But God wants us to keep trusting in him. To keep putting our faith in him, even if it's slower than we would like. I'd love for us to turn to Psalm 46 verse 10. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still, this first part, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It doesn't say be anxious, be worried, or be impatient. It says be still. And I think sometimes... As human beings, we're sometimes a bit like control freaks. Like we just want to be in control. We want to know how our life is going to turn out. We'll do anything to make it happen. We want to know what's going to happen next, what we're going to do next. And sometimes, if I'm being honest, we choose to be impatient. We choose to pick up the worry about, but what if I don't get there? What if, what if this doesn't happen? We choose to do that. But God says to be still. Still. And know that I am God. A few scriptures. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Matthew 6, 25 tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? James 5.8 says, you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. The common theme in all of these is that we don't need to be anxious about how long it's taking, because we bring it to God. We don't have to worry, because we trust God. We can be patient, because God is near. When we're anxious and when we're worried, we start like walking to and fro, you know, in this middle line, in this middle journey. We start going, when will it happen? How will it happen? All these questions start to come into our mind. Why haven't I seen it yet? God, why haven't you come through? All the maybes, our, our hope starts to get a little bit hollow. All these things start to come through. We start pacing up and down. But Psalm 46.10 says, but when we are still, when we are simply putting all of our faith, all of our trust in God, he will come through and we find peace there. Still means not moving, not hurrying, not worrying. Still is being still and knowing that he is God. This verse is actually, it's not actually two commands. It's not, be still and then you will know God. It's one command with a result. When we're still, we will know. When we're still, one command, one result. When we're still, we will know that he is God. Because the incredible thing is that when we are still and we put our full trust and our faith in God... We know that when we get to that finish line, without a doubt, it was God. It had to be God. We did not manipulate the situation. We did not force open doors. We could see that God did it. And if God did it, there is no doubt in his faithfulness and his fulfilled promise that we received at the start. So can I just say the amount of lessons that I learned in this middle, slow period was irreplaceable. The surrender and trust that I learned in this season could not have built me without it. I would not be who I am without this process. So the middle bit, it's hard work. It's long and it's slow. For Noah, building an ark, Waiting 55 years for a flood God said would come is a long time to be persistent and consistent with a somewhat uncertain outcome. But you know what it says in Genesis 6, verse 22? He says, But thus Noah did according to all that God commanded, so he did. The NIV version says Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that is an incredible, inspiring, encouraging faith, man of faith to look up to. He did it. He did exactly what, commanded God, what God commanded him to do, even though it took 55 years. And I just want to tell you today, I'm here today. Look where I am today. I am walking in the will of God that he has for my life. Because I went through the middle process and I saw the faithfulness of God. I saw my trust in God come through, and we get to be here. The hard work paid off. The patience gave me perfect timing because of who He is and who I put my faith in. He put Noah put his faith as the foundation of his hope. He made it strong. He made it sturdy. So whatever you're believing God for, whatever your start is, can I encourage you this morning that your hard work, your persistence, your determination, it will reap a reward. You will get to your finish line. Don't rush the slow process. This is important and it's where we need to be. Noah saw his finish line. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. 55 years later, what God told him at the start, it came to pass. But the incredible thing is that we got to see a man of faith within the 55 years in this middle journey. Your finish line will come, but this middle part is so important. So let's learn from Noah. Let's be encouraged that faith is in the middle. Amen? All right, we're going to hear about Moses next.
1: All right, we are going to get through this, guys. We'll be okay. Okay, so Moses' journey is a little bit different. And the reason his journey is different is because Moses always heard from God. You've got to understand that his initial start at the promise, what happened was Moses actually hears God from a burning bush that did not burn up. That's impossible. It doesn't happen in real life except it did to Moses. And so, so Moses sees this burning bush, God talks to him. God says, hey, get your stuff thrown on the ground, turns it to a snake. Okay, Moses, go save the Israelites. Okay, so he goes to Egypt. And, and God's just talking to him this entire time. He's saying, you know what? Plague, send the frogs. Okay, frogs, make the water turn to blood. Okay, and so all these crazy things are happening in Moses' life. And so Moses never had a problem knowing whether it was God. Never. His entire, he, he was close with God. He had a friendship with God. The Bible says that he spoke to God face to face. And so there was actually zero doubt in Moses' mind that God had called him, that God had purposed him, that God had given him very clear instructions. Because as soon as God told Moses to do something, he did it, and then God would tell him something else. Right? This is the guy who's probably seen more miracles, more signs and wonders, more evidence of God's reality than anybody that has ever lived because he's seen it with his own eyes again and again and again. God was faithful every single time. This was not like Noah where he had to wait. No, God was like, hey, you should part the Red Sea. Okay, <laughs> stick, boom. Psh. Like, like it was instant, right? God's doing all these things instantly. But, but what I want to focus on, Moses' middle part, is in Numbers chapter 20, right? Numbers chapter 20. And I encourage you to read that for your, on your own because it's, it's you know, a, a great passage of scripture. But Numbers chapter 20, to summarize, what's happening is Moses has led the Israelites to the desert of Zin, right? With a Z. And he has come to this desert because his sister Miriam has died. And so they're actually in that desert to bury her, and so so he brings the Israelites, I mean, you know, by now, like, maybe three million people, all to this desert, and they go, we're going to bury Moses's sister, so they have this burial, it's all very nice, but here's the thing about deserts, it's a desert. (laughs) Deserts have no water, now, the Israelites, for the longest time, have been living off manna, which is, again, as if you don't believe in God's faithfulness when every morning there's food at your door. But, but they, they are now in the desert, and there is no water. And so they go to Moses, like, Moses, we're going to die. There's no water. What are you going to do about it? And so, now, okay, bit of context. This is not the first time this has happened right? There has been a time before this, years ago, when they were also th- going through another desert, and the Israelites are saying, hey, Moses, uh, there's no water. We're going to die. Bring us back to Egypt. I'd rather be a slave with water than free and thirsty. And, and so Moses talks to God, and God says, hey, Moses, grab your stick. He grabs his staff. Hit the rock twice. Tuk, tuk. Water comes out. And, and the Israelites, drink. I mean, this is not like a tap. Like, Three million people, including animals drinking water. You're not talking about tap and then a little trickle comes out. Like you're talking somehow a giant lake just appears out of nowhere, right? For three million people. Because, and so the Israelites have seen this. Moses has seen this. But in this chapter, in Numbers chapter 20, they get to this desert. The Israelites are thirsty. And God says to Moses, hey, See that rock over there? And Moses, is like oh, I've seen this trick before I did this last time. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't hit it. Speak to the rock. Yeah. And and so Moses is like, now you gotta think. Moses' sister has just died. The people are complaining again for, I don't know, maybe the 30th year of their life. Like, like this is not a great place. They're in the desert sisters died. People are complaining. Maybe it was the the, the last straw that broke the camel's back. But Moses gets frustrated. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's disappointed. I don't know what's going on in his mind. But something is happening that he takes, instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he hits it. And when he hits it, see, God is so good. God is so faithful, especially to Moses it was so quick. Water came out anyway, right? He hits it. Water comes out, and the people are like, oh, yay, thank you, Moses. Um, but, but Moses does this thing. He, he, he hits this rock. Now, you know, side note for another preaching lesson, but I thought it was a really cool insight. Um, we know now that Jesus, the rock, had to die once, and the next time you go to him, he doesn't have to go to the cross again. He doesn't have to die for you again. After he's died for you once, you can now talk to him. You don't have to hit him anymore. He doesn't have to go to the cross. But that's, that's another time. Um, but, but, so what happens is that Moses hits this rock, water comes out, and Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, God says to Moses, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. What is going on? Moses has made one small mistake. God made water come out anyway. It's not like he hit it and then fire burnt everyone. He hit it and it still gave So what is going on? Why is God suddenly going, you cannot enter this land? Like, like is it just me or does that seem so unfair? Does that seem like Moses who was faithful for years and years and years did all these incredible things for God. He meets with God face to face and suddenly he makes one little mistake after his sister has been buried and God's like, you're done. What, what do you do? What do you do? God has just told Moses that his journey is done. He's not going slow. I'm fixing the sign now. He's told to stop. Moses was on this incredible journey. He's like, the finish line is the promised land. And God, you are now telling me I'm done? Like, I, I made one mistake and now I'm, I'm done? And I don't know whether you've been in this situation where, have you ever felt like your journey is suddenly stopped? Some crazy thing has happened. Maybe, like Moses, you made a mistake. And it's, it's not an on-purpose mistake. It's not this big grievance that has now you know, caused catastrophe. It's just you made a mistake. And suddenly, it's like, stop, you're done. Because Moses is now in this situation. He now has a choice to make. God has said, you are not going to, to walk into this promised land, but I still want you to lead them there. What? are you going to do? See, the, the, the easy thing for Moses to assume is God lied to me. What he said at the start, that was lie. That was he, he, false promises, false hope. What is this, God? You tricked me into doing this. I'll never see the promise. Like it. You lied to me at the start. And, and it's so easy to fall into that, that pattern of thinking, thinking that God did not come through. He is not faithful. Here's my question for you this morning when you see a stop in your journey and you ask yourself this question, is God still faithful? Is God still faithful? Because when we read the promises that that God gave Moses specifically, he actually says this. He says, Moses, I want you to set the Israelites free from Egypt and lead them to the promised land. He didn't say I want you to set the, the, the Israelites free from Egypt and then walk with them into the promised land. He said, lead them to the promised land. Now, I, I, I know you're thinking how manipulative God is tricking people. He's trying to, you know, loophole. I found it. But he, here's what I want to get, get, get across, and, and we'll finish soon. Do you know that God's plan for your life is bigger than you? Whatever God calls you to do, it's not just about you. Whatever purpose God has for your life, it's bigger than what you are going to see while you're alive. And so for Moses, what he had to understand and what he did understand is that God's calling for his life wasn't just about him being happy, being, oh yeah, look at me, I did all these things and I made it and I'm in the problem. No, it was always bigger than his own life. And so Moses knew that his His role in this journey wasn't just for him to feel satisfied. It was so that he could literally lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And he would get to this point. See, He he would reach the stop and God would say, you're not entering. He's like, that's okay because my purpose is not to enter. And he brings the Israelites and he says, I'm not going to walk in there, but you go. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to see it for myself. But this new generation, this this sinless generation that that didn't rebel, that didn't, you go. Because God's plan is bigger than me. Because I don't need to see the land and walk into it for myself for me to know that God is still faithful. That God will still fulfill what he wants to do on the (laughs) earth. So we're going to finish real soon, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, what we read about all these stories is that the scripture actually says that none of these people saw the, f- the fullness of God's promise. None of them. Not a single one of these faithful people, these people who had big promises and, and big callings and big purposes, not a single one of them saw the fullness of God's promise. And the reason is this, because not a single one of them knew that it was all about Jesus. Not a single one knew that it was all about Jesus. When it talks about Abraham, he thought, I'm just gonna have a kid. This is the promise. God, you said I'm gonna have a child. Maybe ten children, maybe grandchildren. He didn't know that Jesus was coming through his line. Yeah. When you see Moses, he's thinking, Yeah, I'm just gonna lead these people so they're free and not. He didn't realize that it was to establish the nation of Israel through which Jesus would come so that he could save the earth. You know, you know in Abraham, I'm just gonna jump to Abraham for a sec. You know, God promises Abraham and He says, you're going to be the father of many nations. You are going to have offspring, as many as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the seashore. Abraham and Sarah were infertile. They could not have children. And eventually at 100 years old when they had one, you are got to think about Abraham. He's thinking, oh, okay, I guess, I guess he will have children and eventually there might be 50, 100, 1,000. Yeah, that, that's pretty good, I guess. That's not stars in the sky. That's not sands in the seashore. God's just exaggerating. He's making a big deal out of things that aren't real. But what Abraham didn't realize is that God was talking about Jesus, is that that through his lineage would come Jesus. It wasn't just about the Israelites because through Jesus... Would come every single Christian that has ever lived and every single Christian that is yet to encounter God. And that is billions and billions and billions of people. Because Abraham trusted in God, because Abraham put his faith in God, we, we are here today celebrating who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 11 it says, faith is the confidence. Of in what we it says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. New King James is the evidence. See the great thing about faith or evidence, pretend this is on, is that evidence usually is after the fact. Right? Evidence is like something has happened, a crime has happened. You collect the evidence, you see what is left behind. And so this is very backwards. Because it's saying that this is evidence of what you have not seen. That faith is the evidence. It comes before the fact. It's weird. It's backwards, as scripture usually is. But here's the thing. When you see something solid, right? When you see that it has structure, that it can't be moved, that it's it's got, you know, yeah, there's something, yeah, there's something strong about it, that is evidence that whatever comes on top of it, that faith side, seriously, will also not move. That's the evidence. Is that because you have something strong inside, the outside will be fine. And so what this scripture is saying is simply this. Are you going to apply your faith to your hope? Are you going to be strong inside so that what is to come will be strong on the outside? See, I reckon this is what we do sometimes. I was thinking about this as we took communion this morning. Maybe you took communion. Maybe you prayed. Maybe you've come to Jesus time and time again and nothing's changed. The first thing we think is, well, it doesn't work then. Guess God just doesn't, he doesn't do it. He's not in the business of it. It's not really what he wants. You know, maybe he's not even real. But here's the thing. To apply your faith, what it means is that we go, no, because faith is the evidence. I need to have faith before I see it. I don't need to see it to have faith. So if I'm going to apply my faith, it means that I know what I'm seeing. I can see I'm not stupid, right? I'm aware of my circumstances. I'm aware that I have prayed and all these things and nothing's happened. But if I have faith that I'm going to speak and declare the promises of God even when I don't see it. That is how you apply your faith. And do you know why you need this? Is because faith is the only thing that hope can be built on. You cannot build your hope on wishing on dreaming, on, hope, on, on our maybes. You can't build your hope on manipulating events and circumstances. The only thing you can build your hope on is your faith. So when we say these things, when we say, hey, have faith, speak over your life, declare the word of God, is because there is no other choice. Is because if we want to see the promises of God, this is the only way to do it. So you go to the doctor. The doctor says, I'm sorry, but this is a very bad diagnosis. I'm sorry, but you're not going to get better. I'm sorry, you're going to have to go through this treatment, that treatment. And you just stand there and you go, okay, I know what the evidence says. I know what the world says. I know what everything's saying. But the evidence in my heart is my faith. So I'm going to speak my evidence over this. I'm going to put it above what everyone else is saying. So my faith then becomes real because I'm going to say, no, the scripture says that I'm healed. The Scripture says that God has given me peace. The Scripture says that God has given me resource. The Scripture says that, that by His stripes I am healed. It says that He is my healer. It says that He is a good and faithful God, that His promises will endure, that His love will endure. He says I'm a child of God. He says that, that I do not have to be anxious, but I can bring all my, all my worries to Him. I can cast my cares upon Him. And so we declare the Scripture to activate our faith. And that's what makes you your hope real. When we have faith, we go, I I don't know what's happening in this journey, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do it His way because God is faithful. He will come through. Can I encourage you this morning? God will come through for you. I don't know all of you. And I don't know your situations and your stories. But God will come through for you. He will. He will. Some of you for for 15 years, 20 years struggling. God will come through for you. It's taken a long time. God will. You're seeing stop signs all over. God will come through for you. Because He is faithful. Because He loves you. doesn't matter how low and dark things are, God will come through for you. Let's stand this morning. You know, the first step in this this journey of faith, the first thing we could ever do is simply to say this, is that our faith has to be in Jesus. It can't be in anything else. It can't be in any other God, any other idol, any other circumstance, any other wish or hope. or It has to be In Jesus. He is the foundation of our faith. So you got your hope and your you know. So I don't have a third box, but you got your hope, you got your faith, and imagine inside is Jesus. He is the foundation of our faith. And so without Jesus, there's nothing. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there's no future, there's no There's no assurance, there's no certainty. But with Jesus, you can have all of God's faithfulness, all of his promises. You will make it to the finish line. You will see eternity, spend eternity with God, with Jesus.